Hey, appreciate you being here. This is going to be a great day for, uh, for all of us. Um, let me get started. I like to always kind of know, you know, who's in the audience. So let me just ask this real quick. How many of you are not Georgia fans? Raise your hands. Who need to be saved? All right, thank you. I got that out of the way. Okay, and so uh, great day. All right, we're going to get right into it. I have known Davey since he was a freshman at UGA. And um, you'll see why I'm so excited about the day. We had a great service at the first service, and uh, we'll have a great one today. So, David, let's get right into it. Uh, you're one of those rare players, uh, athletes. Some athletes have signature plays that people always remember. There's the catch. If you remember, Willie Mays makes the great catch. Uh, uh, Michael Jordan takes off from the foul line, dunks the ball. Well, pushes two, off. That's yes, right, sir. pushes off. 2002, South Carolina. I'm watching the game. Absolutely, I will tell you, if you're a football fan, it is the greatest single defensive play I have ever seen anybody make in football. We're going to watch it on the screen, and then I'll show you why it's such a great play. And a shotgun. they got four receivers. They're on their own six-yard line. Jenkins takes it. He's running through his own end zone. Stops. And we hit him there. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, wait a minute. Pollock took the ball out of his hands. Pollock scored a touchdown. He took it out of his hands as he was going to throw. David Pollock just took the ball out of Corey Jenkins' hands in the end zone, just a few yards in the end zone, and got a touchdown out of it. Let me see a play by Wow, I've never seen that before. I never. <laughs> he just reached up and grabbed it right out of his hands while he was passing it. He was he curled back in the end zone to throw at the dog bench. He's just literally ecstatic as they pound him. Now we'll watch it. I got to see this. He's back in the end zone, two, three yards. Cox's arm, he took it right out of his hands. Wow. And the dogs will try the extra point here. And Billy Bennett is going to stick it up in the air, and the kick is good. I can't believe that. What is so funny is the quarterback. He's like, where, where, you know, where, did, where did the ball go? So if you don't know much about football, let me tell you what happened on that play. He basically did four things in one play. He sacks the quarterback, caused the fumble, caught the fumble, and scored a touchdown all on the same play. I mean, it's just unbelievable how he did it. So... When we were talking to people before we brought Davey. That's one of the questions. They said, please ask him about this play, which I knew there was. So, Davey, just tell what was going through your mind and how, tell us just how that unfolded. Well, I couldn't do that again in a million years. <laughs> I mean, just be honest. That was, that was definitely somebody else's hand in that. But I, I do tell people when um, an interesting story about that play is in football, you name all your formations. And a lot of the players, obviously, that play football know this. Like, you name personnel group. Y'all see those ridiculous signs on the sidelines when y'all are looking? You're like, what does that mean? Like, so when they hold up numbers, a lot of times it's personnel grouping. So that personnel was 10, which means one, wide or, uh, one running back, no tight ends. And so every formation that comes out now, we would name that formation. And that was trips to my side. So we called that Tucson with an offset back. We called it stud. And what it boils down to for all the people that are lost already is um, it was 95% rollout pass with that formation. So I widened out like a yard before it happened. And... That play happened because literally I studied the formations, I knew, I knew the tendencies, and I played a play. I did not mean to do that. I mean, let me be clear. I was just trying to bat the ball down when I got there, but when I saw it on the way down, I just kind of grabbed it, and um, that was the only touchdown of the ball game, and we won 13 to yep. 6, I believe. And, but again, I, I, could, I couldn't do that again in a million years if I tried. Yeah, so theologically, let me tell you what he's saying. It was a God thing. <laughs> it was a God <laughs> Definitely. thing. Okay. So... Question, David, uh, where was the toughest place you ever played in the SEC, 
And what game that you played in college stands out the most to you? First of all, that's the easiest question to answer always, and it's, it's LSU. I mean, the, the <laughs> a little clap over there, huh? Um, well, before you, I don't know who clap, are you sober? All right, go ahead. <laughs> so. Well, an LSU game at night, there's not a lot of people that are. Right. Um, and, and let me tell you something. So you pull up, like you, you pull up as a team, you drive your four buses and you pull in, and um, everybody's obviously watching you. Everybody stops that are tailgating and watch, but LSU's a little different. They weren't really watching. They were throwing things at our bus. And I promise you, there was a lady that was no less than 75 years old that told me I was number one with her middle finger. I mean, legit, like throwing stuff, yelling at you, shaking the bus. And old lady, I'm like, whoa, what on earth did we get into here? And, uh, and then you walk in the stadium, and the players know this, but you always go on the field right before, or before you put your pads on in your full uniform. You go on the field, check out the field. Right when you walk out of the locker room, Mike the Tiger's right on the right. I about peed my pants right when I walked out. Like literally, you walk out, like, oh my God, there's a tiger, like sitting right by your locker room. And then you walk on the field, and uh, the whole student section was filled, all of it was filled. And they were chanting lovely things to us the whole time. And I can't say those, because we're in church. We can't, we can't repeat those words. But I mean, you talk about an atmosphere that was, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. It was so crazy. We scored a touchdown. The ball went through the, uh, we kicked an extra point. They grabbed it, threw it to the top of the stadium, and threw it out of the stadium. And I was like, dude, these guys are awesome. And <laughs> they got so many chants and cheers, and there's nothing, like, there's nothing like a crowd like that when you can, especially when you can control whether you can shut them up sometimes. And yeah, and I, took, I took our three boys last week. We played uh, LSU. We really wanted to go to the night game. That's no, you didn't. Crazy. But, no, you didn't. Well, you might not have come the back. The afternoon was bad enough, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyway, we did see three women with some teeth. But anyway, um, <laughs> so here, here's, uh, what, what, was the, what, what is the one game that stands out in your mind the most? Uh, SEC championship game in 2002. Georgia, we hadn't, we hadn't done that in a long time. Was I mean, it was, it was 20 plus years of Mediocrity. I mean, where everybody knew that Georgia was a school that had a bunch of talent, kept putting guys in the NFL, but just couldn't win. And Coach Rick came in, and in 02, golly, if we had a playoff then, too, we'd have been in a playoff. But, you know, I'm not bitter at all. Um, (laughs) But the Florida Florida game, especially in 02, when we lost to them, kept us out of the national championship. Worst play, worst call by a ref ever. Horse, yes. Um, but it was a it was a bad call. But no, O two when we when we showed everybody that Georgia can can and should be a powerhouse every yeah. year. Uh, I was I, I go to the Georgia Florida games and I was there and I know the play you're talking about. You'd intercepted a pass and you're running down the field and you got a little bit winded and you literally hand the ball off to Sean, yeah. who runs it for a touchdown. And the referee said it was a forward lateral. Awful. Yeah. And let me tell you what happened. I know what happened. I was reading my Bible this morning how Satan entered into Judah. Satan entered into that referee. referee. That's, that's what happened. <laughs> Um, all right, here's a good one for all of us uh, Georgia fans. So seriously, what is your prediction for Georgia this year? And I know your objective. And, and who, right now, crystal ball, who makes the 14 playoff? First of all, I can't stand homers. And some of y'all probably in here have like looked at me on TV and been pissed. And God, I got reprimanded the first service for saying that already. I got slapped in the back. So upset. Some of y'all probably get upset when I uh, pick against Georgia. Um, but I'm always going to be objective. When, when I first started in TV, literally, I'll never forget watching and watching a certain coach. I won't name his name, um, Lou Holtz. But he, it was literally 
watching him, and he coached for Arkansas and South Carolina. And every time they talked about those games, he picked those guys. And I'm like, I will never do that. I will never, because you don't get taken serious at all. So I don't do the Homer stuff. I'm not, I know some of y'all get mad at me for not doing that, but um, I, I honestly think this is gonna be the year for Georgia. And I say that because everybody knows you have to have great quarterback play. Like that's not negotiable. We've got really good quarterback play. So does Clemson, so does Alabama, so does a lot of schools. If you watch the last several years, you've got to have defensive linemen in the trenches that can get after the quarterback. This is the first time I've seen a Georgia roster that has two or three guys that could get 10 sacks. Like you've got depth that can rotate in and out and get after the quarterback. Defensive line will be very active. You've got all the other pieces. So I honestly think when you look at like tackles for a loss, negative plays, those the sacks, those teams, in the, the team that's led the country or been one of the tops in the country wins it all. All the way going back to the uh, Ohio State, you know, in the long time ago in the playoffs. So I think you have to have that. And I think Clemson retooling there, Alabama losing some of that there. I think Georgia athletically matches up with everybody in quarterback. And I think that's, I think this might be the year for Georgia. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I was telling you backstage, there's only been one other team that I thought, you know which one it was, that I thought had a shot. But I think we really do have a, uh, a great shot. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, and this was really good. You did this at first service. What, what are some lessons that you learned and habits that you formed playing football that made you so successful both on the field and now off the field? Football is, is for me, has been the greatest teacher in my life. And it's, and it, not only for me, but it's held true now that I have a son who's 10 years old because Nicholas is, is my son and he's a check the box kid. Like everything, when he was little, we, thank God we don't play with Legos anymore. But when he was little, played with you know Legos and put all those things together and everything was in a nice tidy box and he could control everything and schoolwork has always been pretty easy. Well, then we started playing sports and he was like, whoa, that dude just hit me in the mouth. Like, that dude just whipped my hiney. Wait, wait, it's 100 degrees outside right now? It's hot, I don't wanna run around. Like, I mean, and it literally started teaching him like, wait a minute, this is, this is hard, I gotta work for this. Oh, oh, I gotta work for this and I still lost? What? Like, those, aren't, those don't go to, yes, it does. Every, everybody in this room realizes like, life is going to hit you in the mouth at some point right. and it's gonna stink and it's gonna be hard, but Football, man, has taught me and it's teaching my son and my daughter to, to compete and to fight and that sometimes you're gonna win and sometimes you're gonna lose, but you have to work hard and you have to always rise to the challenge. And so I, that's why it's, to me, sports is football, basketball, baseball, lacrosse, whatever, soccer, whatever you play, teaches so many of those life skills and, and taught me how to work and how to face all those things when they came my way. Yeah, and you know, we're all that way. No matter what you do, I know some people, you know, have this idealistic, you know, picture of a pastor. And I tell young pastors all the time, they say, you know what, what's one thing that I need to remember about adversity? I'll say, look, the worst Sunday of the year for a pastor is the Sunday after Easter. Because Easter, you got the big crowds, right? And then the next Sunday, no matter what you do, you go, where'd everybody go? And, you know, you, you work hard all the time, but you have the highs and the lows, and I, I think that's a, a great lesson. Well, um, I want to take you back to a day that you'll never forget. It was September the 17th, 2006. Changed your life forever. And um, we're going to show a picture of what happened uh, up on the screen. And when we do, um, I want you to tell us, David, uh, how it affected your life. And, you know, knowing that what had just happened was 
you know, learn that your football career is over. So we're going to show a picture of it up here. Uh, that's you being taken off on a gurney that day. So take us through that day and, and what happened and how it impacted your life. Well, it was my, it was my second year in the NFL. And just to give you all some context, I, when I was, my brother was two years older than me. When he was six and I was four, I knew football was for me. Okay, like I, I knew. I was tackling everything on the sidelines. I mean, water bottles, like dummies, people. It got weird when I tackled some of the cheerleaders, but that was a separate subject. But literally, like I knew football was going to be in my future. I wanted to play. I wanted to be a part of it. I looked at my parents when I was seven years old, and I said, I'll play in the NFL. And I told my friends that. I told all, everybody that. And they gave you the, <laughs> that's good, buddy. You know, awesome. I was like, yeah, I'm going to play in the NFL. That's right. And, and um, so I knew it was a passion of mine. I knew it was something that I wanted to do. And I, that's everything I worked for, everything. I grinded, worked, went to college, got drafted. I was a 17th pick in 2005. And now it was my second season, my time to shine, time to flourish. And I dropped back. Uh, it was a draw play. I dropped back. I thought it was a pass. They ran the ball, and, and I came flying in there. And one of my goals my second year, because I played defensive end in college, was to move back and strike people, really hit people and be more physical. And I did. I hit Ruben Drones hard, and he hit me harder. And um, as soon as I hit him, you know, I felt that stinging pain go down my back, and I went down. And every other time I've ever been hit, it's always, it, it, don't get me wrong, it'll hurt. Um, but I could always, you know, move and do something about it. And this time... You know, when y'all go to sleep on your arms and you wake up and you can't move them and it's just terrifying, I was, you know, I was paralyzed. I couldn't move my, I couldn't move my body. And it quickly put things in perspective. Um, and they take you, you know, really quickly into the, um, which is, it's kind of cool in the NFL. They have the MRI machine and the, all that stuff right underneath. They took me right in and then they took x-rays and uh, they said, you fractured your C6. And I was like, cool. I'm out for a couple weeks. <laughs> what does that mean? It's like, it means you broke your neck. I was like, ooh, can we stick to the fractured C6? That sounds a lot better than, uh, than saying you broke your neck. And I'll, I'll never forget, um, again, six years old, right? Like, this is my dream. This is everything I had worked for, and I'll never forget being in the back of that ambulance with my wife, and it was, this, this could be the last time ever strap it on. And it was a very, very tough day and a tough pill to swallow at that time, but obviously now looking back, it's, it, was the best, it was the best day of my life. No question. You know, you did the same thing in the first service. You, you're not sitting up here, but I can see that his eyes tear up. It's amazing how you, it takes you back in that time. And, you know, to your point, you know, you thought it was, man, this is the worst thing that's ever happened, and yet it's really turned out because you might, you probably wouldn't be here today, perhaps, if you had not, you know, I wouldn't be. not happened. No, I, I, I wouldn't be here. And, I mean, y'all know this, too, and, and the younger you are, the less you know this, but, like, life's, life's going to get real, and it's going to get hard. And I realized, you know, that day, like, when, when there's something that you worked for and something that you'd accomplished and something that you'd want to come true, and then... All of a sudden, it's gone, like that. Yeah. And I think it was it was phenomenal perspective to get at a young at a very young age, and it taught me so much about myself. I, I had never, and I don't know about y'all, but like I, 
I'm ADD and I'm all over here, over here, and, and, and all over the place. And the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Amen. I had never done that in my life. Not once. And God slowed me down and said, you're going to be still. And I couldn't move for a little while, and I got a halo brace for four months. Wow. And it goes to here, right around your waist, and you're literally like this for four months. It is awful. You don't sleep. You don't do much about any. I mean, you don't do much of anything. Just try to, you know, get through it. And so it was definitely a time for me that I got to be still and hear from God and learn and uh, start to develop patience and it was, uh, it was the most rewarding time of my life in that rehab for those couple years. Wow. Well, this is a question a lot of people want me to ask you, and I'm looking forward to it because I'm a big ESPN game day guy. I love the things from the best show on TV. But what's it like working on college game day? What does it entail? And, and I, we love, what, what relationships do you have with Corso and Herb Street and Davis and Howard? And, and what do you enjoy most about that? I mean, it's a dream job to me. So, Oh, dude, it's not worth <laughs> it. I mean, think about it. Like, I told y'all football was always going to be part of my life, and I want it to be, and now I get to physically have football a part of my life every year. I mean, I get to cover it, except for the great thing is, and y'all know this, now I wake up on Sundays, I don't feel like I get hit by a bus. Yeah. They wake up after their game, and you're like, oh, God, everything hurts. Where'd that bruise come from? Cold tub, here I come, yeah. you know, to try, to try to make it through the day, but it's, it's phenomenal, and Coach Corso is <clears throat> what you see is what you get. You know, he's 83. Like, that dude... That old dude putting the hat mascot head is 83, and he's nuts. I mean, he's absolutely nuts. Dude's in his PJs at five every day, by the way. We finish our meetings, he's over there like stealing snacks out of the corner, and then goes, puts his jammies on, he's ready to go to bed. But he, he is, uh, he's a lesson in humility every time I go on the road. You told me that. Because I bring my kids with me every other weekend at least, and he literally first one to greet them. And treats everybody with such dignity and such respect. It's, it's phenomenal. And then... Reese is, uh, Reese is probably my closest friend on the group. We do all kinds of stuff together, and we talk about his kids all the time. And, and out of season, we talk a lot. And uh, Desmond brings Demir and Desmond with him, and we, we get to kick it with Nicholas. My son Nicholas is the same age as his twins, and so they get to kick it and have fun. And, and then um, Kirk actually, I was doing TV for the first time. It was Fox SEC Gridiron Live. Who's heard of that? Yeah, nobody. Nobody. You didn't watch it. Nobody did. I didn't think anybody watched it besides my mama. Um, literally. And so, so think about how crazy this is. I'm doing Fox SEC Gridiron Live, local Fox. And I'm just up there thinking I'm doing a little bit of TV and experimenting with it. And then my phone afterwards, I check my phone and I got a voicemail from Kirk Herbstreit. And I was like, what the heck? And uh, he, he's like, hey, dude, I was flipping through the channels. What channels? Like 600? I mean, like, seriously, what channels? Like, talk about a God thing. What channels were you flipping through? And he said, I saw you. He was like, man, you got great energy and passion. He's like, I think you could do this. <laughs> he was like, you should meet with our guys for ESPN. I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, who wouldn't want to do that? And um, he set up a meeting. And actually, I had another one of those moments. Kids, I want you to realize, too, is had another one of those moments. I met with an agent in ESPN. They're like, what do you want to do? College game day. <laughs> Best show on TV? Oh, sure, everybody wants to do game day. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Got that look again. And you know what? That, that, that to me has been a defining moment in my life that y'all are going to have to. Do not let people tell you what you can and can't do. That's good. Like that, 
God can, has, and will do amazing things. Amen. And right. you get that all the time with all the hate and all the people telling you you can't do something. Don't listen to that. Like, put that in the back of your mind. Keep working. Keep grinding. But um, so that's, you know, when you start to transition from, when I started to transition from TV, like those guys, you know, especially like Kirk was a pivotal part of it that brings it full circle that he, I think he does an amazing job. But those guys to hang out with are fun and get to go to the best game every week and I mean, come on, it ain't real. Yeah, you know, it, it's amazing because, to be honest, I'd never seen, I'd never even heard of the show, Fox. I didn't even know what the show was. And, I mean, you think about. Nobody had. There's no such, if, 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 if there's a God in the universe, there's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing. Yep. And it was a God thing. Like you said, well, let me transition because you talked about bringing your kids. You're, you're a big family man, your wife, Lindsay, kids, Leah, and Nicholas. Family's super important to you. And so you gave a great answer, too. How do you balance, you know, you've got your career, you travel, you do things like this. You're, you know, really, you're, you're in that kind of celebrity status kind of a thing. How do you balance all of that with your home life? It's not negotiable. It's a part of it. We're, we're going to do it together. And my wife, my daughter, and my son come at least four times a year on the road with me. My son comes at least every other weekend on the road with me. So he's been to like 28 universities already over the last three years. He's 10. Um, and every year the teachers send me a letter and tell me he needs to be in school. And I'm like, yeah, no. Um, so I get, I get in trouble every year. I'm like, bro, he's going to learn way more on the road with me and have way more fun than do that. So it, it's not. No offense to all you teachers, teachers out there. Out there but, hey, life lessons, way more important. Come yeah, on now. Yeah, but yeah. Um, so we, uh, we, uh, we do that every year. As a we do it as a family and we do it together. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and they have to sacrifice. And I, listen, there's always sacrifices that have to be made in families and Sometimes you've got to give something up, and you know, but I try to make them as big a part of it as I can, and it's really cool because my son brings a friend with him every other weekend, and now he's had 12 friends that have come with him over the years that have got to experience some unique things and some cool things. My daughter's brought three or four friends with her, just her, and got to experience different campuses, and you know, the most crazy, annoying thing is we go to the best game, so for example... You got the best game on Saturday night, prime time. And I swear to you, this has happened at least four times. I'm not lying. It might be Alabama LSU, because it was a couple years ago. A huge throwdown. And my kids and their friends will look at me in the fourth quarter and go, can we go back to the hotel and jump on beds? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, really? I'm sit we're sitting there on the sidelines watching these freaks run around and kill, kill people, kill each other on the field, give everything they have, the best game, and they're like, can we go get room food and jump on the beds? So they're a part of it. That's awesome. Whether they appreciate it as much as, as I do, they're, they're, yeah. they're going to be a part of it. Well, I know, I know how they feel. I, I got a big Gator buddy over here, Jack, and Jack, I'll tell you, there's been a lot of times in Florida, I've seen us play Florida, and I want to go back to the hotel and jump on my bed. <laughs> so I've been there and done that. Jump on him That's on right. his bed. That's right. <laughs> Well, let me, let, let, you said something about Lindsay, your wife, and I thought it was so cool. How do you maintain a strong marriage, and how do you keep those home fires burning with Lindsay? How do you do that? Marriage is, is work. I mean, it, it is a job. Like, it is a daily, uh, it has to be a thought process in your head every single day of how, how I can help, how I can be better, 
um, what my wife needs, what my kids need, what that we need together as a family. So, I mean, y'all, y'all all know this, that, that have spouses, they're going to annoy the mess out of you sometimes. And uh, I think just like putting somebody first and putting your wife first and then having kids and stuff, it just teaches you to how to put people first. And it's been such a blessing because my, my, me and my wife have been together since we were three, for God's sake. She's the only girlfriend I've ever had. And we started dating when we 15. You know, I mean, it's so we've been together for so long that um, she knows me, I know her. Like last night, we had we went to a Thomas Rhett concert. I, I, hands raised, I didn't want to be there as much. She does. So guess what I'm doing, guys? Hey, let's go to Thomas Rhett. Let's party. So I think it's the... It's the constant, you know, every day is going to be, a, some days are going to be challenged more than others, just like your walks of life, but it's just putting the effort in and realizing she comes first. Yeah. I don't disrespect her ever. Right. I don't call her names. Like, I, that, you know, actually, I didn't, I didn't tell us in the first service, but I had a buddy, we were in Mexico two years ago, I'll never forget this, and we were in the airport, it was, it was 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., we were leaving, so it was, you know, you're all, we're all irritable, like we're all tired and wrapped up in blankets, ready to go home. And uh, he cursed at his wife and said something to her. And I just, later on, I pulled him aside. I was like, listen, man, I'm not going to hang out with people that talk to their wife like that. Like, that's the most important person in the world. That person comes first. You, do, you don't talk to her like that. We don't talk to them like that. And right. so I think having a healthy respect and um, she's been my rock through all, everything with, with me. And she was my nurse and my halo and when I was going through my neck. And so it's. It's not easy. Y'all all know that. Marriage isn't easy, but it's a daily effort, a daily grind that we have to Absolutely. make sure. Well, you, you, know, you guys who come know this. My beautiful bride's right over here. We've been married 43 years. And I can tell you that you, don't, you, you never get a day off in a marriage. It's, every day is work. I do want to say you've never annoyed me in 43 years. <laughs> um, so, uh, Thou shalt not lie. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. That's a command. It's yeah. written somewhere okay. in the Bible, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Um, the thing, one of the things I admire about you, though, David, is you do take being a dad very seriously. You're very involved with your kids. You coach your son's football team, your daughter's softball team. So here's a big question, you know, looking back on my days as a dad. All these dads and moms out there, what, what is your biggest goal as a dad, as a parent, for you as a parent, and what is your biggest goal for your children? First of all, I definitely take youth league sports exceptionally serious. Let me throw that out there. Like, we're 10U, and y'all can relate this, we're 10U football, and we have wristbands, and we're no huddle up tempo, and we run, we run a few RPOs already at 10 and 12, so like, we're, we're legit serious about it, but the, the conversations I get to have with my kids about youth league sports and about life, like my son, he's 10, he's He's not a vocal kid. He's not a loud kid. But this year, he's one of the oldest kids. And being able to have a conversation with him, like, listen, we got this little kid, Charlie, who gets, who gets destroyed a lot. He gets hit a lot. And he's an eight-year-old kid. He's a younger kid. I'm like, Nicholas, this is where you, that's where, that was you a couple years ago. Let's go beside him and pick him up and say, hey, man, it's okay. I've been there. Like, and learn how to lead. But I think the biggest thing for all of y'all that are parents and coaches, it's not about results. It's never about, I have never talked to my kids one time like, bro, that home run was sick. That, that touchdown you scored was sick. I don't care about that. Like, that's not, that's not important to me. I don't talk about that. I talk about, did you play hard? Did you play as hard as you could? 
did you, did you have fun? Like, those are two questions. And the most important thing I say to my kids afterwards is I love you regardless. Whether you stink today or kill it today or whatever, I love you regardless. And sports for us as a family and for all, a lot of y'all is something that we love. To, it gives us a common bond and the common things to come together. And, and then it gives us those great avenues to have conversations and handle all the different things that are gonna come our way. That, that's why I love being a part of youth league sports and coaching multiple teams and basketball. My girls' basketball team this past year was my, I mean, it was awesome. They were third and fourth grade girls. Like, and we were out there just flying around with like our hairs on fire, just competing like crazy and having fun. And so those are the, it's not, a, if you always reinforce like the, the outcome and it's always about home runs or touchdowns and all that stuff, then that's what they're gonna think is success. That's not success to me. Success is showing up, having fun, working as hard as you can regardless of the results and knowing that regardless, I'm proud of you and I love you. Yeah. You know, there's a great life lesson there. And, and, and let me tell you what life's all about. Just what David said. Life is, giving, is getting up every day, giving God your very best in everything you do and leave the results to God. That's, that's, what, that's what life is all about. By the way, uh, you didn't know this. I didn't say this for a service, but seriously, your reputation as a coach precedes you because you're already getting a legend about how you coach those boys. I mean, it's like you're, you're really into it. And, we lost and, one game in five years. Yeah. And the one they lost, he had his boy running his house steps up and down and down. But, but yeah, it's, no. it's All right. not true. <clears throat> not true. It's not true. Okay. I, I want to transition now to something that, that's really most important to, to both of us, and that is faith. So, uh, David, you have an incredible story about your own spiritual journey. And not only about how you came to faith, but about your mom. And so it's, it, that, that's my favorite part of this whole thing. Tell us about your spiritual journey, how you came to faith in Christ, and also about how it impacted your mom. Well, I, I never grew up in church. Um, I hadn't stepped foot in a church until my senior year of high school. And so I knew nothing. And I had a teacher named Mark Watson who was a, a biology teacher. And he was a little bit different. And I, I, I was really good. As y'all can tell, I'm kind of high energy. And I was really good at annoying teachers. It was one of my... It's one of my superpowers, annoying people. Um, really good at it. And I swear, this dude had a, like the Jesus uh, fish, and I, I called him a Jesus freak. And um, I, he played the pra his praise and worship music, and I was just like, dude, something's different about this guy. Like, what's, what's wrong with him? He's a little different. And couldn't rile him up, and you could tell, like, he just had something, something unique. And so for outside reading, and I don't know, I can't confirm or deny whether it was this reason or not, but I was like, I think a part of me probably was like, I could probably annoy the mess out of him if I knew a little bit more about the Bible and maybe say something. But I, I said I wanted to read the Bible for outside reading. Well, my English teacher was like, I can't help you there. And I was like, well, what if I do my 200 pages of outside reading of the Bible and then meet with Mark Watson because he knows it. Sat down with him and literally, like I'm talking about, he talked Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I didn't know those were the Gospels. I'd never heard that. I didn't know. He started giving me some background of what they did and they were part of the disciples that hung out with Jesus. And I was like, oh, sweet, cool. And then started to read more. And I'm like, wait a minute. So you're telling me like this was prophesied about for years and years and years and years. And the people in power, they didn't want this to happen. Like they didn't want Jesus to be who he was. And he still shut them all up. And he still accomplished all of this stuff. I'm like, and it just completely opened my eyes and it changed the way I looked at things. And I mean, just thinking about, I mean, I never heard that anything about church. To go into hearing that message and to hearing how much God loved me and he sent his son and he did this. And so it was, it was a learning process for me for sure, but I went to church 
uh, one Sunday with one of my buddies, and then I, I ended up um, coming back to my house, and I was reading, and I, I accepted Christ into my life, and football, and that with going to Georgia with Coach Rick and our team chaplain, and started to learn and started to grow, and my life was forever changed. But what you said was so important, and I see it every day because I have so many friends that have anxiety and so many friends that are so worried about X and so worried about Y and so worried about Z. It's gonna be what it's gonna be. God has the plans. It's done. It's gonna be what it's gonna be. So just show up. Like, and that's, that's one of the things, I look at my kids at least once a week, probably several times a week, and I, I say every, every, two, every all the time to them, all the time, and they can repeat back to me, who can ruin your day? Nobody. Then the kids will look right at me and say, nobody. Nobody can ruin your day. Nobody. If somebody walks up to me and spits in my face right now, I still control whether it's going to ruin my day or not. That's right. Guess what? Every, there will come, no matter what your age is, whether you're in high school, whether you're an, an adult, whether you're a senior citizen, there will come a point in your day every single day that there's a, there's a moment that happens that you can let it ruin your day. Every day. It will happen at least once a day, probably multiple times a day. And you choose whether you're going to give that authority. You make that decision. Mm -hmm. God's going to take care of you. All you have to do is be faithful. All you have to do is not worry about it. Work as hard as you can. And, and in the end, it, it will be taken care of exactly how it's supposed to. So you give your life to Christ, which is an amazing story, in your, in your home. Yeah. Uh, tell me how, fast forward, tell me how that relates to uh, where your mom was. And well, so again, I hadn't gone to church with my family ever. Like, we've never gone to a church together. And so this is now, after I went off to college and well, I was with team chaplains in FCA, and I had been plugged into church, and my parents still hadn't been. And something was going on in my, in my mom's life at the time, and she calls me when I'm, tra I'm training for a combine. So I'm literally training to go to the NFL draft, to run the 40s, all that stuff, and I'm in Bradenton, Florida. And um, she calls me, and something's going on, she's just like, hey, you know, um, X, X, Y, and Z is going on. And I was like, okay. And I was like, and I asked, I asked her, I was like, well, how does it make you feel? And she's like, I just, she goes, I don't. She said, I don't understand. And I said, what do you mean? She's like, I don't understand how, sorry. sorry. She said, I don't understand how when things come in your life and all this stuff happens to you. She goes, I don't understand how you still have your faith and how you don't let things bother you. And so I got to break out my Bible and I got to share my faith and I got to walk her through some of the stuff that Mark Watson did for me years ago. And you got to <laughs> take over. No, it, it, was, it, was, it was just, it was an awesome moment. And it's an awesome example of what God can do when you live your life for him. And you don't worry about the other stuff because more is always caught than taught. Everybody that has children know that. Yeah. Everybody that's been around uh, people, coaches and all those, you, you know that more is caught than taught. Like when people walk it and when you model it, that's what people look at in your life and they're like, I want that. I want to emulate that. And Jesus did it for his disciples and people have done it and it continues to happen with all of us. And we have that opportunity to continue to do that and, and to lead. So he, um, this is what I love about David. He's just, he's, he's just real. That's what I love about this man. He's just real. 
So he actually led his mom to Christ over the telephone in this conversation. That's what's the cool thing about it to me. So David, two, two last questions. I, I want to show a verse, uh, show, uh, throw a verse up on the screen. It's one of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I don't make any bones about it. I can tell every one of you listening to me right now what your purpose on earth is. You have one purpose, to bring glory to God. That's why you're here. If you live a life that doesn't bring glory to God, you have lived a wasted life. David, my question to you is, how did you see football as a way that you could glorify God? I didn't. God did. You know, it's, it's, it's something that he allowed me to do and allowed me to play that people watch and people look at. And, um, but I, I didn't get that ability from anybody else. I mean, I got the ability from him and the mindset from him to be able to play a game of football that just people happen to watch and people happen to be a part of. And it's just, it's a tough, it's a tough question to answer. I always hate that because I'm, I'm no different than any of y'all in this room. Like, I put my shoes on the same way y'all do. I put my underwear the same way. Well, I mean, the girls, I don't necessarily put my underwear on the same way. We, whatever. We put, our, we, we're, all the, we're all the same. We're all very similar. And everybody has, we're all uniquely given different talents. And some of us are good at some things and some of us are better at some things. But if you have, like to be a leader, you have to have influence over one person. One person. We've all got a, a brother that kind of likes us or a sister that kind of likes us and you got mom and dad, you got influence over one person, you're a leader. Right. And so we're all leaders and we all have that opportunity that God's given us and we're just uniquely crafted for different things. But football is a vehicle and it's, it's been a cool vehicle for me and I wish I was better when I was younger and I wish I would have taken better, like when I was in college and the autographs and the pictures and stuff, it's overwhelming. Like it was, it's just, it's, it's coming at you at 18, 19, 20 years old, and you're like, where do I go? How do I, get, how do I get away? And I wish I'd have been more respectful. And I think God gave me another opportunity now with game day because I get more opportunities now and take pictures. And, stuff. and it takes one minute, two minutes to impact somebody in the, to the, for the rest of their life, for the future. Like you can say one encouraging word to somebody. All of us can find one person to love on and to pour into and say something nice and yeah, I think you see it as you get older. You start to see more examples and have more opportunities that you can take advantage of. But even when you're younger and you're teammates, I mean, it takes no effort to come beside somebody and just tell them, hey, man, you're doing a good job. Keep fighting. I like the way you're working. So we all have unique gifts from God that we can use for different ways. And football has just been something that he gave to me as a vehicle. That's such a healthy perspective because every good and perfect gift comes from God, everything. One of the reasons why I love David, and, and, and he was, and, and I, I didn't say this first service, but you talk to anybody that has their all-time UGA team, and if you're a UGA fan, we do. He's, he's my defensive end. He's one of the greatest that ever played there. His records show it. But one reason why I followed him so closely uh, through uh, college, and David over that, I, I used to speak in chapel quite a few times, and that's really where I got to kind of know him and some of the players. And I knew David. I knew that he had a heart for the Lord, and it's, I've just always loved him because of that. So here's the last question, David. If you could only share one final thing with these players, these coaches, and specifically to all of us, generally to all of us, one thing, what would it be? 
Well, trophies and all those accolades that we put on the board and like three-time All-American, first time in 30 years, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to care what you've accomplished at your job in 30 to 40 years. All the people that you impacted and changed their life will always remember. They will never forget what you've done for them. Trophies are gonna tarnish and go away and then you're gonna have um, titles that you, your business, whatever you are, titles are gonna go away and somebody else is gonna filter in and take that spot and accomplish that but you will, uh, you got one chance to make an impact, to make a difference and one chance to accomplish eternity and to spend eternity in heaven and to spend it with God and to take advantage of that, not, not taking advantage of your situations, your surroundings, all the stuff you're doing now, but walk for him, make an impact here, make an impact with people, love on people, train people, disciple people, because um, that's, that's going to last. All the other stuff is not gonna last. We're not gonna look back years and years from now and be talking about a Georgia, we don't talk about old Georgia football players. Right. Are we talking about the old Georgia football players in the 1914s right now? Ain't nobody talking about them. But there is stuff that is going to last, obviously, a lot longer than that. Let's focus on eternity, not that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, now you know why I wanted to bring David here. You know why I love David so much. And would you just one more time give it up for David Pollock? Would you do that? Thank you. In just a little while, Dave's going to be meeting with some of our high school football players and all that are here, but I want you to just listen. Just I want to tell you one more football story. And I want you guys, you players, to listen up because this, uh, this is real to me. Some of you are old enough to remember this. Some of you won't, but it'll be, it'll be worth coming forward along with David. 1978, the Atlanta Falcons are playing the Philadelphia Eagles in the first round of the NFC playoffs. Atlanta's ahead 14 to 12. There are two seconds left on the game. Philadelphia has driven all the way down about the six-yard line, chip shot field goal. So I'm sitting in my home and down in Oakwood, not too far from here with my dad, watching the game. And we're watching the field goal lineup. We know they're going to lose. It's a chip shot field goal. They're going to lose the game. Mike Michelle, the place kicker for the, for the Eagles, comes on. He hooks it. He misses the field goal. Bedlam breaks out. You know, you can see you know, people come on the field and all this. Michelle collapses just, just right there, falls to his knees, starts bawling his eyes out. I'm watching this. Out of the corner of my eye, I see this Atlanta Falcon just like a bullet running across the field. All the other Falcons are hugging each other and all, and they're jumping up and down. This guy's running on, where's he going? Who is that? And he runs over to Mike Michelle, who is, who is kneeling there. I'm going to throw the picture up on the screen, okay? This is what happened. I'm watching this, 1978. You can tell it's 1978, right? <laughs> so I'm watching, and I said, Dad, and it was just on there for a second. I said, Dad, did you see that? We wouldn't watch you. See what? I said, did you see what just happened? He said, no, what? I said, Dad. That was, I said, Greg Brazina. He said, who's Greg Brazina? I said, Greg Brazina is a linebacker for the Falcons. And I knew who Greg was because Greg was a dynamic Christian, a strong follower of Christ. He said, well, what do you mean what's going on? I said, Dad, he just knelt down. I said, I would give anything to know what he just said to Mike Michelle. Had no clue. 
Four months later, I pick up a, a sport magazine, and here's the story. Michelle misses the field goal, collapses on the ground, bawling his eyes out. It's cost his team a chance to go to the Super Bowl, cost them untold number amount of money they could have had, cost them their dream, what they'd worked for all year long, sobbing his eyes out. Greg Brazino runs over to him, leans down, and whispers into the hole in his helmet these words. I'm Greg Brazina. You don't know me. I'm a linebacker for the Atlanta Falcons. I just wanted to tell you this. Having Jesus Christ in your life is more important than anything that will ever happen on a football field. That's all he said. Ran off. Michelle goes home. He's in a funk. He's depressed. He is thinking about suicide. He doesn't go out of his house. He just basically turns the world off. That went on for about two or three months. But every day, he couldn't get that statement out of his mind. Having Jesus Christ in your life is more important than anything that will have happen on a football field. So one day he said to his wife, he said, he hadn't told her. So one day he said to his wife, I, I, I got to tell you something. There's something I can't get off my mind. She said, what's that? He said, there's this linebacker for the Atlanta Falcons, Greg Brazina. She said, okay. I got to tell you what he told me. And she, he told her the story. He says, I don't know what's going on, but I've got to find out about this. We so found out there was a Bible study going on for football players in Philadelphia. He starts going to that Bible study. After about a month going to that Bible study, he gives his life to Christ. And then he leads his wife to Christ. Now, let me tell you why I tell you that story. It's not just a football story. It's for all of us. Because what David said is so true. At the end of your football career, and guys, I hope all of you guys play in the NFL, but we all know the statistics. Most of you aren't. I hope all of you play college, but some of you won't. Very few of you, if you do, will play in the NFL. It doesn't matter. At the end of football, at the end of your career, at the end of your retirement, at the end of your life, it won't matter if you won the championship ring. It won't matter if you've got 15 trophies in your trophy case. It won't matter if you climb to the top of the ladder. It won't matter if you were finally called the CEO or the president of your company. It won't matter if you've got the beachfront condo down in Florida. It won't matter. When you draw your last breath, there's only one thing that's going to matter. Do you have Jesus Christ in your life? That's the only thing that's going to matter. And I promise you, there are people here right now, that's where you are. You're where Mike Michelle is. Oh, you may not be depressed. You may not be suicidal. But your life is empty. Whether you even realize or not, your life is empty. So I'm going to share four things super quick. We're going to be done. The bad news is we're all in the same boat. We were all born sinners. The reason why we do wrong is because we were born wrong. You don't have to teach a kid to do wrong. God teach a kid to do right. We're all sinners, separated from God. That's the bad news. Here's the worst news. There's nothing we can do to take care of our problem. If you go to church, you'll just be a religious sinner. If you get baptized, you'll just be a wet sinner. If you give money to the poor, you'll just be a generous sinner. So it doesn't matter what you do. At the end of the day, you're still a sinner. But here's the good news. God loves you so much. And God wants to spend eternity with you so badly 
He said, I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. I'm going to send my son. And he's going to be a guy just like you. He's going to hurt like you. He's going to cry like you. He's going to get hungry like you. He's going to get tired like you. He's going to get disappointed like you. And he's going to die like you. But there's one difference. He's going to do something you couldn't pull off. He's going to be absolutely perfect. And because Jesus Christ was absolutely perfect, God could take all of your sins and all of my sins and all of David Pollock's sins and all of Mark, uh, Nick Saban's sins and all of the Pittsburgh Steelers' sins. God could take all of our sins and he put every one of them on Jesus. And to prove that he paid our debt, he came back from the dead. So that's the good news. Here's the best news. I'll close it with one more football story. 2008, guys, I got to go to the Super Bowl. It's played in Detroit. Pittsburgh Steelers were playing the Seattle Seahawks. I got in for free, free ticket. How'd you get in for free? There was a guy that played with David Pollock. His name was David Green, played quarterback for Georgia. I led David Green to Christ on the 18th fairway at Bears Best Golf Club the year after he graduated. After David went on, he made the football team at Seattle, and out of gratitude for what God allowed me to do for him, he gave me a free ticket to the Super Bowl. Some of you remember it. I came here and preached that Sunday morning. We had a police officer in our church. He took me at 120 miles down an hour down the, down the interstate. I jumped on a plane. I flew to Detroit, and I'm walking into the Super Bowl. Now, I want you to imagine you're the ticket person taking the ticket, and I walk up to the gate, and I say to you, hey, man, I really want to get into the Super Bowl. I've been a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I've had Terry Bradshaw come speak for me, and I'm a terrible tower guy, and I really ought to let you, I want you to let me in. And let me tell you some reasons why you ought to let me in. I'm a pastor of a church. I've never had a drink. I've never done drugs. I've been faithful to my wife. I paid my taxes. I've been a good dad. So you're the ticket guy. You're just going to say one thing. What you going to say? Where's your ticket? He doesn't care about all that other Where's your ticket? I want you to hear me. If you want to go to heaven when you die, you got to have a ticket. You got to have a ticket. On one side of that ticket, it says forgiven. On the other side of that ticket, it says eternal life. Are you ready for this? Here's the best news. It's free. Jesus has already bought and paid for your ticket. All you got to do is accept it. So I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to give you the chance to make the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. You walked in here today, be honest with yourself. You don't know Jesus. You may, believe, you may have believed something about Jesus. You may have heard of Jesus, but you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. You've never truly accepted him as your Lord and Savior. I just want to ask you one question. I'm talking to coaches, football players. I'm talking to bus drivers, school teachers. I'm talking to high school kids, college students. Do you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Would you like to live not a wasted life, but a life that you were meant to live, a life for the glory of God? If the answer to that question is yes, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me right now. You ready? Just in your heart, just pray this prayer with me. Now, you're not praying it to me. You're praying it to him. Just simply pray this. Lord Jesus, I need a Savior. I'm where David Pollock was till he was a senior in high school. I'm lost. I cannot save myself. 
But I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. So Lord Jesus, this moment in this chair, I'm accepting the ticket. I trust you as my Savior. I surrender my life to you as my Lord. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I repent. I turn away from the way I've been living. I give everything I am to everything that you are. Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You're going to find out now, those of you who did that, did you mean it or not? Now I'm going to show you how you know whether you mean it or not. It's real easy. I'm going to ask you to do two things. It's real easy. If you prayed that prayer with me just then and you meant it, you did what David did in his house. You did what I did in a movie theater as a nine-year-old boy. If you just prayed that prayer and you asked Christ to save you and you meant it, you didn't mean it, forget it. If you meant it, right now just raise your hand real high all over the building. All, I see hands are going up everywhere. Keep them up. Just keep your hands up for a minute. You've prayed that prayer. You asked Christ to come into your heart and you meant it. Hands everywhere. Look at these. This is awesome. All right, put your hands down. Now, here's the second thing I'm going to ask you to do. And again, this is real easy, okay? Here's what I want you to do. When you came in today, you were given this little program, okay? There's a card on the back. It's a tear-off. It goes just like that. It's called Connection Point. I want you right now, you raise your hand. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that card, and there should be a pen in the free seat in front of you. Take a pen or a pencil. Here's what I want you to do right now. Sign your name to that card. Okay, you raise your hand. Sign your name on that card. You give us some contact information. It can be a cell phone number. It can be an email address. It can be a home address. Just give us an address or some, some way to contact you. Down at the bottom, it says, Today, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Check that box off. Okay, that's it. That's all I'm asking you to do. So you're going to sign your name. You raise your hand. You're going to sign your name. Contact info. You're going to check off that box. Today, I pray to receive Christ my Lord and Savior. Okay, got it? Now, if you checked off the first box, you really ought to go ahead and check off the second box. I commit to be biblically baptized. You say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Why do I want to be biblically baptized? Because the very first thing that God wants you to do once you give your life to Him is to be baptized. You say, why? I got married 43 years ago. I put this ring on. And I wear this ring everywhere I go. You know why? I want people to know that I'm married to that woman right there. Baptism, baptism is the wedding ring of the Christian life. When you come to Jesus and you get baptized, when you're getting baptized, here's what you're saying to the world. I want the world to know I've given my life to Jesus. He's my Lord and my Savior. So you want to go ahead and check off the second box. Now, you may say, well, I don't need to check off the first box. I've given my life to Christ. Well, have you been biblically baptized? No. Well, then you need to check off the second box. All right? Now, once you fill that card out, Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, okay? So everybody look up here. Everybody, everybody now, you look up right here. We're about to receive our offering. At the end of every aisle to your left, or to your right, rather, to my left, is a basket. And then I'm going to ask you to pass that basket all the way over, and we're going to receive our offering, okay? If you're a guest of ours, we don't expect you to give anything to our church. This is just for our members and our regular attenders. However, two reasons why I want you to put this card in that basket, all right? First of all, those of you who made a decision for Christ... Just drop the card in the basket. That's all you got to do. You're done. We'll contact you later. We'll follow up with you later. If you are a guest, a, a, a guest of ours today, 
we want you to put your card in the basket. Now, we're going to bribe you to do that because we're going to have a drawing, okay? Now, I know what some of you are saying. You're saying, uh, but you just said it was just for guests. Yeah, members are not allowed, and regular attenders are not allowed. No, you can't do that, okay? And I'll go ahead and warn you. If you're a member of regular attender and you put it in, you're not going to get picked. You say, why would you do that? Because this, we want this to be our gift to our guests. We want this to be our gift to these football players and these coaches, okay? We're going to have a drawing. These are really some nice things, okay? So you'll want to put your card in that basket, all right? So everybody got it. We're going to receive our offering in just a moment. You're going to, if you're a guest or, and, or if you're a guest or you made a decision or you're a guest and made a decision, you're going to fill that card out and drop it in. Then we're going to follow up with those of you who made decisions later on, and then also, you're going to be eligible for a drawing for some really nice things that we want to give you just for being here today. So let's get ready to receive our offering. And by the way, after we receive the offering, if you'll just hang around for one last thing, one little cool thing, we'll be letting you go. And by the way, before we after I pray, I'm going to be gone. So let me just say three words and two words before we have the offering. All right? Jesus is Lord. Go dogs. All right? So let's... <laughs> Let's, let's pray for the offering, receive the offering, and thank you for coming. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for David. Thank you for the great day it's been all day long. Thank you for the unbelievable number of hands that went up that made their life-changing decision for Christ. Lord, we did it all for your glory and for your honor. Now as we receive the offering, thank you for faithful people who do faithful giving so we can do the faithful work you've called us to do. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. thing about no matter where we are in this room, whether you just received Christ for the first time, or you're someone who has known God your entire life, or what it seems like your entire life, is that we all can come to Him in this moment and still sing to Him with such beauty and grace. So let's speak into this moment. Whatever He is speaking to you, we can just speak back to Him. These words are saying that no matter where we are, we're going to have faith in what we believe. Even if it doesn't seem like tomorrow that's gonna happen for us, we can have faith today that his promise is true. So why don't you guys go ahead and stand with me. Let's sing this out together and let what God has done this morning for us ring out true.